In this episode of Scaling Postgres, we talk about five minutes of Postgres, a nest, scram, and multi-master review. I'm Creston Jameson, and this is Scaling Postgres, episode 200. All right, I hope you, your friends, family, and coworkers continue to do well. Well, welcome to our 200th episode. So I've been doing this about four years. I don't intend to stop anytime soon, so I hope you do enjoy the content. And what I'm doing on a weekly basis is reviewing all the content I can find for Postgres and presenting roughly the top 10 articles that are are present just to share with you. And I do it in a prioritized order. Well, our first piece of content is actually the start of it looks like a new video series called Five Minutes of Postgres. And this is Five Minutes of Postgres, Episode 1, Using Postgres Statistics to Improve Bad Query Plans, PG Hint Plan Extension. And this is from pganalyze.com. So it looks like this is something they're doing on a weekly basis. I have the two episodes for the first and second piece of content here. This first one talks about where someone achieved a 200 time faster improvement by adjusting the query. But basically the key problem was that he reviews in the video as well as talks about here is that it looks like the main problem was that the planner had invalid statistics and it thought there were more rows it had to search through than it did. So it chose an inappropriate plan. Now, when I've encountered issues like this, basically I have to increase the amount of sampling done for statistics, or you can create extended statistics looking at more than one field to add relationships to the data. And he talks about this here in this post. And he uses other posts as reference, like uh, this article that shows using Postgres extended statistics to achieve a 3000 speed up. So this episode goes through this process and definitely encourage you to check it out. The next episode was using Unnest, Generate Series, and PostGIS. So he talks about an article with regard to Unnest that I'm actually gonna cover here. A generate series we covered last week, as well as a PostGIS article that is also in this week's Scaling Postgres. But definitely some more video content if you are interested in checking that out. Now, one of the Unnest articles that was discussed, and they did discuss others in Five Minutes of Postgres, but this article is Postgres Unnest Cheat Sheet for Bulk Operations. And this is from at databases.org. And they're talking about using a nest to basically take an array and create rows out of it. That's what a nest does. So he says it is actually faster to insert records when you use a nest. Now, I always like to see performance comparisons, and unfortunately this, this post doesn't do that. But this sounds like why it's faster is because there's less parsing required. Because this is essentially just a multi-row insert and you avoid parsing all of that by just giving it an array. And presumably this is faster. He also shows how to do this with update records. So basically converting arrays into records that you want to insert. And he says the normal update statement only really lets you update multiple records in one go if you want to set them all to the same value. Well, you can do that if you're using a subquery. So you can update based upon the value in a table but I suppose this technique has advantages if you want to present that data as an array. So there is another way to do it. So I think you can do some of the same things, but maybe there are some use cases where Unnest has some advantages, but definitely an interesting blog post. I encourage you to check out. The next piece of content, 
PostgreSQL 14 and recent Scram authentication changes. Should I migrate to Scram? This is from Procona.com. And what makes this post relevant is that Postgres 14 has set Scram as the default. So some people are running into particular issues when they've upgraded to 14 that part of their environment wasn't ready or maybe some of the libraries weren't ready for it. But basically 14 is using Scram by default. Now it's just a default. You can still use MD5, which was the normal way of hand handling passwords before. But Scram is the default and this post talks about some different settings to be aware of in using it, such as setting channel binding potentially when you're connecting, as well as when you're setting password encryption, because setting it to on doesn't work anymore. You actually need to say you're setting it to Scramshot 256 or you're setting it to MD5. So if you want to learn more about it, you can check out this blog post. The next piece of content, PG Friday, Replication Engine Potpourri. This is from EnterpriseDB.com, and they're basically reviewing a collection of different multi-master utilities that work with Postgres. One is Bricardo, the other is Symmetric DS, another is the EDB replication server, the next is Shareplex, as well as BDR, which is bidirectional replication. And they talk about each of these solutions and the different ways that they achieve a multi-master Postgres installation. So if you want to learn more about that, definitely check out this blog post. The next piece of content, Accelerating Vacuum in Postgres. This is from dataegret.com. And they're talking about some techniques you can use to accelerate your vacuum. Now, whereas I agree with the parameters that need to be changed to accelerate vacuum or auto-vacuum, I would place emphasis on other areas. Like for example, the vacuum cost limit, which is not even in the listed values here. To me, this is the most important value to change because this sets how fast vacuum can progress. In other words, it does work until it reaches a particular cost limit and then it stops it work, its work to allow, allow the database system continue doing its work. So this is a value from one to 10,000 and I've put server systems on it where it's, you know, eight, 9,000 because they were very large multi-terabyte systems with a lot of CPU that had the processing power to spare to run vacuum frequently. And I would say this is the number one thing to literally make vacuum go faster. Now, apart from that, you can drop the costs that get added into this. So reduction of these different costs that they list here, the page hit, the page miss, the page dirty, you can reduce those costs and that essentially is equivalent to increasing this but it's basically allowing vacuum to work more. Now their first mention here, increasing the number of auto vacuum max workers. Well, you have to be aware that this is governed by the vacuum cost limit. So if you leave this at its default and just increase the number of max workers, each worker will be slower because this is a global limit. So if you go to three to 10, each individual auto vacuum worker will now be three times slower because it's measured by the same limit. Now this will help you vacuum more tables in parallel, but in my experience, the issues with vacuum being slower, it's usually on one table that it's take, just taking forever to vacuum. So literally what you want to do is have vacuum run faster. And generally I usually keep the auto max workers at three. I've brought it up as high as six if needed, but that is usually not the area that needs adjustment. And of course, the other things they mention here, reducing the nap time, that can be important for running auto vacuum frequently enough, as well as 
defining when auto vacuum runs, so adjusting the different thresholds that they mention here. But if you want to learn more about auto vacuum configuration, you can check out this blog post. The next piece of content, Postgres SQL lessons from advent of code challenges. This is from heap.io, and they're talking about some different code challenges they used SQL for. And they use particular features of SQL, such as window functions to get particular ranges. They use CTEs or common table expressions to create readable application code. And actually one of the challenges, it was beneficial to think relationally instead of iteratively to come up with a particular solution. And lastly, there was one case where the SQL was much more compact compared with a JavaScript solution. So definitely a post to explore different ways you can use SQL. Also related to this, not so equal texts in PostgreSQL and how to compare texts in a more elaborate way. This is from andreassherbaum.la and they're try trying to do string comparisons where they look equal, but they're actually not. And this postcode takes it in a different path of how to actually do the comparison by creating its own data types and operators. So this is definitely an example of how extensible Postgres can be. So if you're interested in that, you can check out this blog post. The next piece of content, read-only mode for PostgreSQL. This is from jcats05.com. He's talking about a parameter called default transaction read-only. And if you set this, you can no longer send DML to the server. Basically, you can only send it select queries. You can't create or insert or update or delete data. And this is actually a session variable, so you can set it per session. You can set it for your system, but the thing to keep in mind is that an individual session can turn it back off. So it's not great for ensuring that a database is in read-only mode, but you may find a use case for using it. So if you want to learn more, you can check out this blog post. The next piece of content, waiting for PostgreSQL 15, add header support to copy text format. This is from depesz.com. And basically, much like the CSV output for copy, you can add a header. Well, now you can do it with the text format as well, and it gives you a header in that case. So that's apparently coming with Postgres 15. The next piece of content, elevation profiles and flight lines with PostGIS. This is from crunchydata.com. And this is a scenario where someone was trying to project flight paths at a particular elevation. So if you're interested in geographical information systems, this is a post you're probably interested in checking out. The next piece of content, transaction ID and snapshot information functions. This is from hygo.ca. And they're talking about the transaction functions, TXID current that gives you the current transaction you're on and a few other functions. Well, they've actually had their names changed. I mean, the old ones still work, but they started creating new ones that are PG current exact ID. So there are new functions for these in the newer versions of Postgres, and it explains how each of these are used. So if you're interested in that, you can check out this blog post. The next piece of content, the Postgres school person of the week is Flavio Grigel. So if you're interested in Flavio and his contributions to Postgres, definitely check out this blog post. And the last piece of content, that we had another episode of the Rubber Duck Dev Show this past Wednesday. This one was on refactoring in the wild. Basically, in the real world, how would you do refactoring of your code? So if you're interested in a long-form developer discussion format, you can definitely check out our show. That does it for this episode of Scaling Postgres. 
You can get links to all the content mentioned in the show notes. Be sure to head over to scalingpostgres.com where you can sign up to receive weekly notifications of each episode. Or you can subscribe via YouTube or iTunes. Thanks.